This morning we have perhaps one of the simplest, most straightforward, and hopefully relatable of the Beatitudes. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because I don't know about you, if there's something that I can relate to, it is hungering and, uh, and thirsting. You know, there, there's a certain delight and a pleasure in life that comes along with being satisfied with, with great food and with great drink. Uh, and the Bible has this profound connection that goes through the entirety of Scripture. We read just these two passages concerning that. Uh, this connection between our physical hunger, physical forms of hunger, and the spiritual correlation. You know, a few meditations that really draw this out and tease this out and help us to train our appetites for food so that we may then hunger and thirst for the kingdom is that great book that many of us had the chance to, to thumb through, The Supper of the Lamb by, uh, by, by Robert Capon, which we talked about in a, in a book study. You know, that book has a real, it has a real profound way that it can restore our wonder of creation. It teaches us what it truly means to hunger and to be satisfied with, with food, with physical food. But for all the, the, all the delightful observations that that book has about the natural blessings of life on earth, the importance of that book for the Christian life is this relationship between these things that we're talking about here this morning, the, connect, the connection between our physical hunger and thirst and our spiritual hunger and thirst. He says, um, to be sure, food keeps us alive, but that is only its smallest and most temporary work. Its eternal purpose is to furnish our sensibilities against the day when we shall sit down at the heavenly banquet and see how gracious the Lord is. Nourishment is necessary only for a while. What we shall need forever is taste. And this morning's beatitude really is about about the blessings that comes with the development of our taste. Uh, Of our taste in particular, though, uh, not for, you know, good meat and bread, as, as wonderful as those things are, but our taste for righteousness. The blessing of this morning is for those, uh, comes to those who can develop this taste for the kingdom of God and for his righteousness. And so with that introduction in mind and with the very simple goal uh, of, of trying to reinforce that taste that we should all have for the things of God, We're going to take up this beatitude in three headings, and the first of which is point number one, religious hunger pangs, religious hunger pangs. The kingdom blessings that are here for us in verse six are for those who suffer from the pangs of a religious kind of hunger, the longing that the soul of every human being has for God. Um, a longing which is very important to the existence, a vital element to the existence of every, of every Christian. When we think about what it means to spiritually long for and desire the things of God, if we don't use this analogy of food, it's very hard for us to communicate that to other people, particularly to, non, to non-Christians. I mean, how would you describe it? How would you go about trying to explain the way in which your soul, your very being, relies on God and yearns for God and needs needs God. I mean, how else would you describe your love for God um, when you are at your lowest, 
when you are at your most desperate? How would you communicate that to, um, to the uninitiated? Likewise, how else would you describe your, um, your absolute delight and pleasure in the abundance and in the blessings of, of God himself? How else would you describe being utterly content? I'm trying to use words. I'm, I'm trying to say those things without even using words. I don't want to just naturally say satisfied or, you know, satiated or full. Or, um, it's really, really hard to do without this analogy that is drawn between food and hunger um, and our desires. Because the Bible has these, has these things running all over the place. I mean, um, these, this connection between the spiritual realities, our hunger and our thirst, these ideas of, of, of food, satisfying good, banquets, feasts, famine, all these things are just all over the place in the scriptures. I mean, very clearly we see over and over again, on the one hand, the Bible uses um, delightful food and, and tasting as a way to talk about our satisfaction in the Lord. So we have those two great psalms that, that hopefully many of us are familiar with, you know, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, who both have in common this, this illustration um, that, that talk about the word of the Lord, the law of God, not just being wonderful and delightful, but being sweet to the taste. In both cases, sweet as the taste of a honeycomb. Uh, and if you've ever had you know, honeycomb, if you've, if you've ever had even honey bunches of oats, like you know the sweetness, maybe, maybe too sugary, but the too, too artificial, but the absolute sweetness um, of our taste, and it uses that as a way to describe the love for God's, for God's law. I mean, if there's anything you've, you've heard me harp on and, and introduce and bring, talk about over and over, is this idea of, of feasting. And throughout the Bible, we see how feasting is the way in which the Bible communicates this, like the overabundant blessings of belonging to God and trusting in his promises. And his promises, future promises to Israel, future promises to the church are all cast in this language of, of feasting. I mean, how else does the Bible tempt you towards heaven than to do things like, or to say things like Isaiah 25, where it tells us that on the mountain, uh, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts is going to make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a feast full of rich food, food full of marrow uh, to the dissatisfaction of the vegans, a rich food full of marrow, well-aged wine, well-refined. Well, not only are we familiar with the Bible's uh, use of food to describe fullness and blessing, but it's also the main language to, exp- to express our, our, our lack or our hunger and our thirst. Um, talk of famine. So Psalm 42, for example, tells us that as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I mean, how else do you describe that spiritual dryness and, uh, and that loneliness other than to thirst for God? But as we look here at this very simple beatitude here this morning, and as we use these ideas of hunger and thirst, one of the important things and one of the harder things to wrap, our, to wrap our minds around is that, is that it's talking about hunger and thirst here, at least, um, in the sense that 
Um, not so much as, as, as conditions that we are afflicted with, but they're ways that describe our sort of active pursuit of, of God and of righteousness in particular. See, in many cases, bodily hunger, at least by our experience, bodily hunger can be a strictly passive experience for those who are lacking, um, those who, who have great want and need. Hunger and thirst can come to them as a matter of circumstance. They can be afflicted by famine and, and, and hunger. These things are not always in your control naturally. But here, at least, um, hunger and thirsting are are these qualities that those who are in pursuit of righteousness have, once again, in a very active sense. There's there's another psalm that talks about hunger and thirst in this way that I think fits really well with what we're going to talk about this morning, and that's Psalm 63. Because Psalm 63 says this, it says, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. Right? So earnestly, I'm in pursuit of you. Very, I desire you. I, um, I want you, my God. And then how does the psalmist, um, how does Asaph here describe those things? Well, he says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's really what's going on here. There's an earnest seeking that kingdom blessings come for here in this, in this simple verse. But the blessings come for those who seek as though they are hungry for righteousness. And so they're thirsting, they're panting after righteousness. So the second thing I want us to see here in this passage is very simply point number two. Um, What is the righteousness worth seeking? What is the righteousness worth, worth seeking? There's a kingdom blessing pronounced for everyone who eagerly desires righteousness. It's very straightforward. And once again, every one of these is, is, is pretty cut and dry and simple. But here, I think before we really dive in, we have to stop and, and consider, well, what kind of righteousness is this talking about here? What is the type of righteousness that we're to hunger after and that we are to thirst after? Because when you really pause to think about it, the Bible does speak of righteousness, maybe not differently, but in different shades. There's different areas in which some things get emphasized over others. For example, the Greek word here for righteousness can oftentimes just be used as general justice. Um, and you see that over and over. Like, and there is a correlation. There's a correspondence. There's a, you know, righteous judgments are important. And just general justice are worthwhile pursuits. But that's not exactly what's what's in mind here. Also, what's, what's not quite in mind is that idea of, of, once again related, like forensic righteousness or justification, the thing we talked about a little bit in our, in our Sunday school. Now, there is a great declaration and great news of the gospel um, that God declares us righteous, um, that, he can, that he grants us the very righteousness of Christ. And there's this so that's like a forensic or like a legal. There's, this de- there's a declaration of righteousness that we love and that we preach and that we preach about and that we, that we believe. But in our justification, we can say that Christ's perfect righteousness is, is credited unto us or imputed to us. That's true as well. But that's not exactly the thing being described here. He's not saying neither, he's neither saying 
blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, nor blessed are those who hunger and thirst for like the declaration of righteousness. But really, truly, he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that righteousness of character, for good, moral, lawful conduct. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a holy and upright way of life, is what he's saying here. That inherent ethical quality that comes along with being what we call godly. Blessed are those who have lives that are conformed more and more to the image of Christ and are living and are, and are desiring to live out their lives in accordance with the word of God. Because holiness um, is blessed, as we're told here. And this kind of righteousness, quite frankly, uh, is a righteousness that I know we haven't studied the whole book of Matthew. We'll probably do more of the Sermon on the Mount um, as the months go on. But right conduct, right living, that is, that is a great concern in Matthew's book and is often the case what he's talking about when he describes righteousness. So, for example, Lord willing, in a few weeks, we'll hit verse 10. Uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Well, what kind of righteousness is that talking about? Well, it's obviously, if you're going to be persecuted, you're persecuted for the way in which you live, right? Um, living out, you know, living righteously is, is certainly the thing um, that he has in mind. Or also later on, like in Matthew 6, 1, Jesus warns against practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And so that very clearly, again, is a righteousness regarding a way of life, a way of conduct, um, it is this way of life. It is the case that it is this way of life that characterizes Christ's kingdom. And so we cannot uh, waver on that. We're told elsewhere, and once again, Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, so that all these things will be added unto you. So very simply, if you belong to Christ... Um, and if you do belong to Christ, by virtue of you belonging to him, you are a member of this kingdom. There is tremendous blessing available to you now. There's a pronouncement of blessing here um, for now and the future. Placed over all those who just have that sweet hankering for, for some good old-fashioned righteousness. Um, those who have a taste, uh, those who have an appetite, have an itch. You know, like you have an itch for that certain go-to place that you go to for takeout um, that could only be scratched by righteousness. The desire for godliness is like a craving here. And the blessings come to those who have, who have such a craving, um, who have such a hankering. And many of us know, you know what this is like uh, firsthand. For many of us, either coming into the faith, this is one of the things that attracted us or who have lived for some time, you know what this is, what this is like. And you see it most evident even in those you know, most mature saints that we, that we would regard so, you know, as so godly. Well, in most cases, or in all, in all cases, they have this, they have this delight, this, 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 this eagerness for, for right living, for right conduct. Now, acknowledging this blessing is very easy, uh, and seeing as how this sounds like a good life uh, to me and to you. I mean, if we believe 
uh, the Bible, what, what Christ proclaims, and we see this is the, this is the way, this is the right way to order, in which to order our lives. And not only does ordering our lives uh, benefit others, but it includes, with it, it includes with it such a tremendous blessing for us as members of his kingdom. This is a great and worthwhile pursuit, and it's not hard to acknowledge the blessing. That's the easy part. But the more difficult part, though, comes at the tail end of this beatitude. And the claim that those who hunger and thirst for a righteousness, that those people will be satisfied in their hunger and their thirst. Because as many of us know, even as we pursue a righteous and holy and upright life, the harder thing to believe is that our desires for righteousness in all of its senses, is going to be satisfied. Because it's, it's in the living of a life today in this age that we hit certain limitations. And that the idea of a completely righteous life hits uh, and encounters some challenges. So the last thing I want us to see from this passage is point number three, satiating the hunger for righteousness satiating the hunger for righteousness. Now, pursuing an upright life, uh, pursuing a life that, that um, follows the Ten Commandments as a rule, uh, pursuing a life that is, that is filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, look at all the various ways in which the Bible talks about wisdom and all, of the, all, the, all the prescriptions, all the ways in which good, upright, righteous living is prescribed to us. That pursuit is is worthwhile. And the, one of the great blessings about the Christian life even now is that hey, as you depend on, um, on Christ working through the power of his spirit, one of the blessings is that at times you will be satisfied. Like that hunger will, will be satisfied in, in this life. Um, at certain times in life, you're gonna, you are going to get your fix. Right? So when you really are, are, are craving that righteousness, at times you're going to get, you know, you're going to get that righteousness. Um, and it would be a crime to ignore that. But it can also feel, though, life can also feel incredibly frustrated because at times we don't get sat, like we aren't satiated, we aren't satisfied. Um, even when we eat our fill, um, much of life is still, is still wanting. I don't have to go through great lengths to give you lots of illustrations, for example, of how our desire for righteousness in the world is certainly not satiated. Um, like our desire for righteousness amongst, uh, amongst the people that we know, uh, amongst civil authorities, amongst other institutions. Well, it is a good thing to desire, to hunger and to thirst and to hope and to pray for righteousness in all areas of life. And yet we can look out very quickly and start to get frustrated um, and to get confounded. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, when, it talks about, when, it, um, when it talks about Christ being, um, being placed in all authority over the world and the world being subject to him, it's just quite honest when it tells us in chapter 2, it says, at present... We do not see everything in subjection to him. And, it's, it, and, and it was true of the time when the, when the book of Hebrews, Hebrews was written, and it's very true today as well. 
And that can be a frustration. It can seem as though in that sense, our hunger and our thirst does not get, um, does not get satisfied. But it also becomes the case as we turn attention at ourselves as well and see our own lack and the own ways in which um, our own efforts and desires uh, are not satisfied as well. I mean, there are times and seasons that we will all go through or certain challenges, uh, sins that continue to creep at the door, doubts that plague you. Um, you know, there are plenty of times which your desire and your hunger and your thirst for righteousness never seems to get quite satisfied. It, it feels at times, living in, a, living in a fallen world, it seems at times more like, you know, more like we're very thirsty, we're hungry, and... We go and, and it's more like the experience of drinking like salt water to satisfy our hunger and thirst for our own righteousness. Because we'll feel satisfied for a time, but in reality it's done nothing to, uh, to rehydrate us and to give us true, true satisfaction. We pursue righteousness and we're satisfied with small glimpses of change. Praise be to God. But then we return over and over again, to the same sort of hunger and lack that got us started in the first place. See, it is this second part of the beatitude, which is hard to fully grasp and to fully wrap our minds around and to fully embrace. This idea that, that the kingdom promises a satisfaction um, that sometimes can ring, can ring hollow. It is very clearly... Right, a great ideal for Christians and our, and our desire to be holy, but we can feel uh, far from it. I've mentioned this before in previous discussions on, on the Beatitudes, but I think that it is always helpful to return to, to Romans 7 and to consider Paul's struggle, um, because that really does encapsulate the, the, the challenge of being a kingdom citizen and to um, having that thirst and hunger satisfied. Because on the one hand, in chapter 7, Paul says very clearly, verse 22, I, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And that is exactly what is being described here. There's a hunger and thirst that comes you know, from the gut, from the inside that Paul is describing and that all Christians can feel and we can agree with and say yes and amen. We delight in the law of God. And yet, in verse 23, he also says, and yet there seems like there's this, you know, in my members, so in, his, in his physical body, he says that there's another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. It's like my, my inner being desires and hungers and thirsts for this, and yet there's something about me, something about my flesh that, that wars against that, and that doesn't help me pursue things that are in my best interest. In verse 19, he describes, you know, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. And that's, that's the confession of all Christians living in this tension in this kingdom, um, living today in this age. But once again, that idea that this is a tension that is felt um, by everyone living this side 
of the new heavens and the new earth. And that is why, as we do these Beatitudes over and over and over again, we're going to have to continue to come back to this idea uh, that this is a proclamation for a kingdom, uh, the kingdom of heaven that has been, in, that has been inaugurated, that has come truly, um, and yet has not been consummated. It's a, we, have yet, we have not yet seen it in its fullest extent. In our present life, the kingdom is here, it has broken in, and there is a way in which our hunger and our thirst for righteousness is satisfied. And yet, there's a way in which uh, full, like fully realized satisfaction has not come for us by our experience. Um, the only answer to this, to this struggle and the only way to, like, to, to get through um, this, this conundrum and to um, hope is to hope in the person of, of Christ and the reality um, that, that with him this kingdom has, has come. And once again, his arrival has changed everything about the way that we look at this predicament. He announces this kingdom um, and a blessing to all those who hunger and thirst for a godly life. And when it says that you will be satisfied, well, very truly, yes, you, you are satisfied at times in this life. Very clearly, even though that's not the main focus, the Father already considers us at, uh, and reckons us righteous, uh, as we said. And so we will be satisfied at times through, through a true bona fide godly life granted to us by, by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Sin for us, um, we are not under its, its penalty, so we fear no threat of being punished for our sins. Uh, really, truly, we have a unique experience because um, we're not fully dominated by the power of sin, so there are times in which uh, we will choose not to sin. And yet, since presence remains in, in a way that Paul described, so much so that the full satisfaction for this thirst uh, will not come and be quenched until, until the resurrection. Um, it tells us, though, that this time that we have now, um, this renewing, well, this, this pursuit of Christ that we're given now, that is, as long as we fix our eyes on him and as we live for him and dedicated unto him in this kingdom... There is great hope for some, for some change and for some, uh, for some decent amount of satisfaction. It tells us in places like Ephesians 4 that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, that we put on a new self, but that new self is created in the image of God after his likeness in holiness and this very idea, righteousness. And then that there is a righteousness to be had here. But then even as that happens... Um, we continue to hunger. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is something that you're never going to move past in this life. Um, that, that you're always going to have this fundamental uh, desire and need for righteousness, even as you grow and continue to live in the faith. Even though you are satisfied, you will continue to seek a greater satisfaction, a greater fulfillment. Um, by fixing your eyes on Christ... Um, recognizing your own limitations and yet seeing how for him the fullness of all the things that we're hoping for has already come, that is the way in which we go in this life being purified and becoming more like him and yet at the same time desiring this righteousness even more. 
It tells us in 1 John, um, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. And that's, that's just essentially what this is talking about. What we will be has not appeared in our lives now. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, it's that hope in Christ that does purify us and that does work on us. Uh, And that helps us to be people who both see a bit of righteousness in this life now come about and yet remain and grow hungry more and more for the righteousness of Christ that will be revealed um, in the end. And if that is the case, and that's the way we are to live in the world, well, hopefully, um, it should help us ease up a bit and be gracious with both ourselves and with others. I mean, if we can truly see in ourselves that hey, fully admitting, just like John says, just like uh, Paul that we looked at, if we can see, hey, we're not all we're cracked up to be. <laughs> we're not now as we, ought, as we will be. Well, then maybe in those times that you fail and that you blow it, that can allow you to be quicker to just repent and um, seek God's forgiveness and move on and not beat yourself up um, about your shortcomings. And also, may it help us reorient our expectation of others, um, both those that we know and and just out in the world. I mean, we should have high standards for others, particularly those who confess the name of Christ, absolutely. And yet, same thing goes. When they blow it, um, be gracious. And at the same time, we can hunger and desire for those that we love more and more righteousness, right? Like, like, we, like we never just, just settle uh, for the way someone is, for the way that we are. And the same is true about how we relate to the world as well. I mean, we should be um, dissatisfied. We should hunger and thirst uh, for righteousness in every, uh, in every area, in every institution, in every part of life. And so we don't lose that. But yet at the same time, uh, we should also be gracious, manage our own expectations, praise those things that are praiseworthy, uh, and yet when we encounter those things that aren't, um, trust to Christ and His, and His kingdom uh, and His authority and His power over everything. Let us look to the day of the full satisfaction that is coming in this kingdom. Um, knowing that, hey, if we, if we know that our whole entire lives, we're not going to get everything right and we're going to be dissatisfied with the, with the state of our own hearts and our own lives, we're not likely to see and, and, to see and, and to reach full satisfaction for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors, and for the world either. But, once again, uh, let us trust in the fact that this General datis- this general dissatisfaction and hunger and thirst comes with it a great blessing from God. And I'll just leave you with just one little 
final word of encouragement. I think for any of us who've sort of doubted or struggled in faith or had, or had real serious problems with, com- with, like, with a, a combating sin, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, even though you feel as though it's far from you, that is where the blessing lies. If you are asking yourself the question uh, whether or not you're living right, if you're even bothered at all, well, blessed are you. Because that's the first step to take to being satisfied. Um, It is only those who reject God in Christ that don't even bother with the kind of righteousness, that have no taste for it. When we pray this morning um, and every day that God would continue to to tune our tastes and our sense um, of hungering and thirsting for that which is truly righteous. Let's pray.